Welcome to the Macmillan Report. I'm Marilyn Wilkshire, host, and today our guest is Professor Gustav Ranis. He is the Frank Altschul Professor Emeritus of International Economics at Yale and was the director of the Macmillan Center from 1996 to 2004. Professor Ranis has more than 20 books and 300 articles on theoretical and policy-related issues of economic and hum human development to his credit. He served as Assistant Administrator for Policy and Planning in AID, Department of State, during the Johnson Administration. He is here with us today to talk about his research on the priority of human development. Welcome, Professor Ranis. Nice to be here. In your research, you look at the link between human development and economic growth. Why is it important to look at that? Well, most of the past history has been focused on economic growth. Uh, but uh, the basic idea here is that growth is really a means to an end, not an end in itself. People don't eat GNP. They, they like long, happy, healthy lives, and human development measures that dimension of human welfare. So the idea is to look at the links between growth, which is still necessary, as a means to the end of increasing human development performance. Okay, and what are the major links between human development and economic growth? Well, there are two, kind of two channels. Mm -hmm. One goes from economic growth to human development, and there's a feedback from human development back to economic growth. Uh, so if you measure human development as it is done by the human development reports of the uh, United Nations, uh, it's measured in terms of things like uh, infant mortality, mm -hmm. uh, literacy, uh, levels of education, uh, the things that people really care about in terms of their long and happy and healthy life. Uh, so you, starting with, let's say, a growth rate of a certain percentage, how is that money spent? Much of it is spent on luxury goods or consumer goods, and some of it is spent on things that produce increases in human development. Uh, who are the agents that are doing this? They're the families, uh, there's the government, and there's uh, sort of NGOs, third sectors. Uh, <clears throat> clearly, you will understand that families, especially if, if females are in charge of uh, the allocation mm -hmm. rather than males, like to spend money f for their kids' education, for the health of their, of their, their babies in particular, infant mortality, uh, and literacy. Uh, and so how much, they how much of their income they spend on, on these things is very important from the point of view of that first channel. Since health and education are public goods as well as private goods, the government is very much involved, both the central government and if it's a decentralized government, uh, local governments, to one extent or another, spend quite a bit of their money on things which produce increases in human development, any one of those that I've mentioned. And then finally, the NGOs, who, which spend most of their energy and most of their money on human development. So that's the one link from growth to human development. Mm -hmm. Then is the reverse link uh, when you have uh, people with better uh, levels of human development, they are more capable of producing growth in the next period. Uh, 
For example, if you have uh, people who are healthier, they are reducing their, their labor is more effective or more efficient. Uh, entrepreneurs are more active. Managers are better equipped. And combined with investment rates, you know, capital accumulation and uh, capital that may come from inside and savings of the society itself, together will produce more GNP in the next period. So the, the cycle continues. Mm -hmm. And so you have countries which are doing fairly well, both with respect to growth and doing well with respect to enhancing the human development levels. Okay. And you've um, looked at developing countries and categorized them in specific ways depending on these linkages. Can you speak to that a little bit and describe them? Yeah. There, there, are, there are four categories. Uh, some countries uh, can be classified as being in a virtuous cycle. The virtual cycle means that compared to all the developing countries, we're dealing mostly with developing countries, not with the mature countries or rich countries, um, that it, compared to all the other developing countries, if they're doing better than average on growth and better than average on human development, call them it being in a virtuous cycle. Mm -hmm. And if they're doing worse than the average on both, we call them a vicious cycle. And you can probably imagine that the, the virtuous cycle countries are largely in sub-Saharan, the, the virtuous ones are in East Asia, and the vicious ones are largely in sub-Saharan Africa. Now the interesting cases are the ones which do better than average on one, but worse than average on the other. And these are kind of lopsided cases. Mm -hmm. uh, there are countries which do better than average on growth and worse than average on human development, and vice versa. And those are the two kind of lopsided categories, which are quite interesting, and we do quite a bit of analysis on that. Um, because the, we find, one of, the, one of the interesting findings is that if a country is better than average on growth, but worse than average on human development, it's very hard for them to graduate into the virtuous cycle, which everybody would like to be, that's the promised land. Mm -hmm. While the other way around, if you're worse than average on growth, but better than average on human development, you can graduate into the promised land of the virtuous cycle. Okay, let's talk about some specific countries. Has anyone uh, reached the promised land? And then conversely, is anyone <laughs> stuck at the bottom, so to speak? Yes, quite a few are at the bottom. Uh, most of sub-Saharan Africa is vicious cycle all the way through. What we do is we divide the whole period from 19... 60 to 2004, I think it was, uh, into decades and see how they progress over time. And we find that uh, some countries get stuck, vicious cycle. Some are virtuous all the way through. But the interesting case are the ones that move and graduate or fail to graduate. Mm -hmm. um, Any take, particular countries that you well, can Well, like say? China, for example. Uh, China was for a while uh, human development lopsided in the fa in in favor of human development, mm -hmm. and they ultimately graduated into virtuous cycle. Uh, on the other, hand, uh, the other hand, um, Egypt um, was lopsided in favor of growth and ended up in a vicious cycle mm -hmm. for the time being. I mean, that, that, there's always a chance for it to recover. 
but it seems to be true that in order to recover, you have to move towards the uh, human development lopsidedness before you can get into the promised land. That seems there's been no country we found which is lopsided in favor of growth and makes it into the promised land. And what are we looking at in terms of time periods for a country to, you know, move in one direction or another? I imagine it varies, but is there um, any kind of average? Well, some it takes a decade, two decades. Uh, they, we've, we've done this uh, five decades and look at decade by decade, see what's happening. So we not only see the whole period, but also the decade by decade. And some countries can shift from decade to another. Sometimes they fall back. Mm -hmm. uh, they have a crisis of one kind or another uh, through external shocks, one kind or another. And so uh, you, you can't make it generalize about how long it will take. Uh, but you can be sure about what I said before, which is that you've got to move uh, to favor human development if ultimately you're going to reach the, the virtuous cycle. Okay, so in looking at your research, um, that would be one of the conclusions. Are there any others that you've reached through your work? Well, one of the main conclusions is uh, that the old idea, which in the 50s, 60s, and 70s, people said, let's grow first and worry about things like what they used to call social uh -huh. elements later. Now, this research shows that uh, that social, uh, sort of soft stuff is really quite essential. Mm -hmm. It's not soft, it's really hard, and it needs to be taken into account early on. Okay. So you either you have to move together in both directions, or if you have, no, if you have a choice to make, human development should come first uh, if you're gonna to try to make it. So that's the most important conclusion. The other conclusions such as when it comes to how the money gets spent, for example, take the families. As I mentioned earlier, we find that, and this is other research that's been done by lots of other people, that to the extent that uh, the decision maker is the father, uh, the family is much more likely to spend things on not human development oriented goods. Well, if, if it's a, a, a female headed family, or at least a, the woman contributes to the family income and has a voice in how money is spent, you're more likely to get money spent on human development objectives. Another conclusion, which is partly our work and partly comes from other work that we've, we've looked at, uh, if you have a decentralized government uh, rather than a centralized government, uh, there's likely to be more money spent on human development because they're closer to uh, what people really need and want, which often is human development. That's what people down at the grassroots are interested in. Okay, and um, finally there, it seems to me, policy implications um, that uh, one could look towards uh, based on your research and its conclusions. Can you speak to that at all? Well, I've already done a bit of that in the sense that the, the importance of literacy, uh, infant mortality, um, and uh, life expectancy uh, as, an, as an objective of policy mm -hmm. early on uh, comes out clearly from the research we've done. And uh, there's a huge activity now uh, on this human development 
index, mm -hmm. which is a summary of the various uh, things I've talked about, which is not only uh, on a global level uh, categorizing countries, you know, how well they have done on human development, but also within countries you get state-by-state -state comparisons. It's like league tables where people compete with each other mm -hmm. to see how they're doing, and that's been a very healthy uh, result of the whole effort. Started about the idea started in the 80s, but since 1990, when the first Human Development Report was issued by the by the United Nations, this idea has kind of taken uh, the attention of policymakers, both donors and more interestingly recipients, mm -hmm. because recipients find this. Uh, appealing in terms of what people really want. Mm -hmm. And to think of human development as the final uh, objective, uh, you can go beyond the three or four items I've mentioned. Uh, people like Amatya Sen at Harvard uh, goes into capabilities, which is a broadened version of human development, uh, what makes people happy. It's not just the things I've mentioned, there are other things like mm -hmm. being left alone, having freedom of uh, choice, having freedom of uh, religion, all kinds of other issues which are called capabilities. Uh, but uh, some of them are measurable and some are less measurable. Uh, but the whole approach to recognizing that, that GDP or GNP is only a means to a happy, long, and, and productive life is a big breakthrough and uh, has affected policymakers, both in the recipient countries and in the donor community community. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you very much for being with us, uh, here with us today and sharing your research. It's my pleasure. For more information about Professor Rannis and his work, please visit our website at yale.edu backslash Macmillan Report. Be sure to join us again for another episode of the Macmillan Report, made possible through funding from the Whitney and Betty Macmillan Center for International and Area Studies at Yale.